Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. So welcome to this uh, episode of Sustainability Unwrapped, a podcast courtesy of Hanken School of Economics in Finland. My name is Nikodemus Slitander, and I'm the director of Center of Corporate Responsibility, CCR, a joint research institute between Hanken and University of Helsinki. Uh, we are a research institute which focuses on producing and disseminating research on topics in the intersection of corporate social responsibility, CSR, and politics. So with that in mind, I'm very excited about what we are going to discuss in this episode, which is human rights responsibility and corporations. So as a topic, I think this has been around for a really long time. Uh, I would also almost go as far as saying that perhaps for as long as the modern corporation has existed. So some say that the Dutch East India Company, for example, was the first multinational corporation in a kind of proto-capitalist uh, world. Uh, and at the same time, it was a corporation that made its profits through war, slave trade and colonial dispossession at large. And it's not an exaggeration, perhaps, to say that these kinds of tensions, some more mundane and, of course, less extreme, in one form or another have existed throughout the 19th century, the 20th century and the 21st century. Uh, the modern CSR discourse, I think, also rooted in very tangible questions about human rights and business. So think here something like Nike's supply chain issues in the 1990s with uh, child labor or Shell's issues with human rights abuse in Nigeria during the same period, which gave birth to a kind of a report-driven uh, CSR discourse, uh, what, you know, what goes on in, in the supply chain. So modern CSR, as we recognize today, has its roots in, in these kinds of human rights issues. Um, yet I would say that human rights issues, at least in Finland, for a very long time, has played a kind of second fiddle to environmental issues. Uh, certainly it is not as well understood as environmental issues. And is that because human rights are not central to Finnish companies, or is that because they are harder to understand and perhaps also to solve than issues around pollution and other environmental impact? Or is it perhaps more about metrics and monitoring, or perhaps it is about politics? So with that bridge to politics and the political, I am delighted to have with me today two researchers from Project SIHTI, which stands for Status of Human Rights Performance in Finnish Companies, where CCR partakes as, as one organization, and it's a project under the Finnish government's research analysis and assessment activities. So with those words, I wish to welcome uh, Jana Vormisto and Suvi Haltula, who I have had the absolute delight to work with on during this uh, project, which is soon now in December coming to an end. So 
So welcome, uh, Sovi and Jana. It's really fantastic to have both of you here on the call for this episode. Um, I think everyone who knows me a little bit better knows that I'm really interesting, interested in contextualizing issues in history, not only research, but perhaps researchers as well. So I've been, uh, I, I think I met Jana Yu for the first time in, in a workshop around perhaps the extractive sector in Finland, uh, Finnish companies and human rights um, at a time when, when these issues were rather peripheral to the Finnish CSR agenda at large. So my first question actually to both of you is that what is your background and how did the two of you end up working with questions in this intersection around business and human rights? Thank you, Nico. It's a great pleasure indeed, besides to, to be one of the researchers in, in safety project, but also be able to today to discuss about this, these issues with you and with my colleague Suvi. Um, well, about background, I think I'm doing a little bit time traveling here as well. And that's good that you, Nico, like the, the his, history. Um, I I think it's almost 30 years ago when I have started my, my career to work on, on sustainable development. And um, during these, these years, the, the, the human rights and, and human rights issues have, have come up, uh, maybe not in the very beginning, or, or they were there, but not in, in, in a very strong way. But I um, have... Um, how would I say, to put more focus on, on human rights when I was working in, in, in Nepal, um, in the um, United Nations Development Program in the Nepal country office. And, and uh, that was 2004 or something like that. Yeah, I studied there. And um, that was the time when the, the UN family, the UN organizations had started to... to uh, integrate the human rights-based approach on the, the, the project and programs. And that also came to, to, to um, uh, Nepal's country uh, office. So, so we started to, to look at that, what does it mean, the human rights-based approach to development and all for those projects and programs we were working at. And, uh, and of course, we were doing it uh, as, a, as a UN organization together with the, with the national government, with the Nepalese government. But we had also the, the, the projects and programs where the private sector was, was involved. So actually we had already that time, <laughs> all, the, all the actors there. there and, and that was the time when, when sort of I also realized that, okay, to be able to... Uh, truly promote human rights, uh, fulfill the, the minimum standards, what they are representing, and, and to proceed with the sustainable development, we need to, to combine these things. We need to, to look at the, the, the human rights and also the, the, the way how we are doing the things. And uh, of course, that time it didn't focus that much on, on what is the business sector do, doing. That came a little bit later. But I, I would say that that's the that's the starting point. 
and also realizing in 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 that context where in the global south where where the the, the situation is well it's quite different what we what we have here even though the the, the same issues are also important in in our our context but that maybe a little bit different different things there so um i have been uh, working with the human rights uh, issues and sustainable development since then i have been there in the in the uh, well global global south but also here here in finland and um, working in uh, ngos working in in the public sector and now working in my <laughs> own own com- company so from from the different different angles and um, um, well i think later on we will talk about more about uh, the so-called guiding guiding principles on, on business and human rights but i think when they came up then the the boost for the for the business and human rights has has really 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 come come up but i think i i end, end up here and, and give the word to my my colleague Su, suvi thank you nico and thank you jana for the for the introduction as well um i'm very happy to be here as well uh, i think it's great that uh we can discuss this very important topic uh, in this in this podcast series. Uh, well, about my background, um, I have a similar type of background as Jana. My background is also in international development um, and human rights-based approaches, um, basically from the from the point of view of uh, quite large uh, institutionally funded development projects. Uh, also in um, in the global global south, as 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 Jana mentioned. Uh, but in addition to that, um, I think um, actually quite soon after the guiding principles sta- uh, were were uh, uh, adopted in in 2011, it became quite clear that even in the development setting, the interest from um, companies and corporates, it, there's there's there there. Increased, there was an increased interest towards uh, finding shared value and working together with NGOs, and and I think this was uh, very clearly coming from the from the point of view that uh, uh, if you start doing human rights due diligence um, as it is um, um, in the guiding principles, you do need to know what's happening on the grassroots level. And, and that's where the uh, collaboration with NGOs came in. And I was very fortunate to be able to, to work in those collaborations with, with, uh, with corporations from the, from the NGO side. Well, nevertheless, uh, uh, I did feel that I do want to um, save the world maybe from a little bit another perspective. And I decided to go back to back and, and did a master's degree on social responsibility and sustainability. Uh, in in Aston Business School uh, in the UK, uh, and during those studies, of course, uh, my mind complete, completely blew uh, what it means uh, the the respect for for human rights for for businesses. So um, and now I'm an independent consultant uh, in my own own consultancy, Threeability Consulting, and um, yeah, I guess that's in short. Super. Yeah, just a brief, brief reflection before we go to the to the next question. I've noticed myself having been involved in these these questions from a researcher 
perspective almost for a decade now or a little bit longer that in Finland at least it seems that most people either have kind of your background Jana, and, and so we either in, in coming in from development sector or then kind of legal legal or very heavy legal uh, background that it's only in the last couple of years we, we see uh, perhaps an even more diverse set of, of, of backgrounds of, of the people who are sort of in in a, in a central way interested in these questions in in, in Finland, so that's uh, interesting. But going back now, not not hundreds of, of years to the East in, in India, a Dutch East India Company, but just a, a decade back now. It's almost a decade now since the UN uh, launched uh, the guide, so-called guiding principles on business and, and human rights, which I think many recognize as a very central document that, that has shaped our understanding of business and, and, and human rights. And certainly, I think here in Finland has been very influential in the way that we, we think and talk about uh, business and, and human rights, both if we're talking about the researchers, but more so perhaps politicians and, and also business, how, how to understand the, that relation between business and, and human rights and how to make sense of that, which is not an easy question. I think any, everyone who has, has worked with that knows that it's it's very complex and, and, and can be very, very hard to, to work with in a, in a practical sense. Uh, so can you talk just a little bit about why these principles and, and uh, why they are considered so central and, and important for uh, shaping the discourse and perhaps what its most important legacy uh, has, has been? Yes, yes, indeed, uh, the guiding principles on business and human rights, it's, it, it is uh, quite a quite a central when we are talking talking about this this issue and and um, when when thinking thinking the uh, the content of the of the guiding principles and and what is the idea behind them they they are some kind of global standard for 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 the um, Business and human rights. So, th so they are they are, they are trying to to besides prevent also the 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 address address the 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 risks and 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 the adverse human rights impacts the the business might might have, and and what they uh, what is their content is that they they define uh, the role of the the state. And, and that the business, the com companies, that when when we are talking about the business and human rights, so what is the role of the of the state there? What they should do, and what is the role role of the of the company? So if we are thinking the the, the role of the of the companies here here is that they they have this uh, uh, role to respect human rights, and then the the guiding principles, as it says, it gives the guidance that how. The, the companies should uh, ensure that they are respecting the, the, the human rights and what they should do, and and they 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 go through that. Okay, the companies should have in place the the clear commitment to to respect the the, the human rights. 
uh, then that they would have this human rights due diligence process where they 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 identify, they um, prevent, they they mitigate and and account how they address their impact of human rights. And and then as a very important part also is the is is the the remedy remedy part also also that the, the companies have have. Um, uh, thought that and and that, that they are ready for the the remediation of any adverse uh, human rights impacts they they have caused or or which they have contributed. So so that's in the in the in the nutshell the 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 guiding principles talks about the roles and then it gives gives the guidance for the companies that okay you should should do do these things and also. Um, I think should say that um, although the uh, if you look at the, the, the guiding principles, it says there that these are voluntary guidelines. But we should keep in mind that um, first they they have been endorsed by the Human Rights Council in, in 2011. So the member states have been uh, approved them, or, or, and 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 so so they have been in that sense. A certain uh, legacy, but then also the the content, what is there in the guiding principles? It's not actually anything new in that they 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 are based on the the international and 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 national law, laws related to to and standards related to the human rights. So so they they sort of um, make it more. Maybe hopefully clear uh, what are, what are the roles and and what, what is expected from from the from the companies based on those uh, international human rights agreements and conventions what what we already have had around for a while and maybe also saying still still one thing that that the 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 guiding principles they also um, expect that the 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 companies that they will tell about. What what they have been do, doing so that they are they are transparent uh, and 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 report that how they have addressed these these human rights issues. Um, yeah, I, I think if maybe Sobi you have um, some other 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 points, but I, I think the, this in 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 nutshell. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Jan. I think you uh, summarized it, it very well. And maybe just to underline furthermore that I fully agree with Jana said that the guiding principles, um, they do kind of make it more concrete that what is what is expected uh, from, from companies and, and uh, also give guidance and quite actually clear steps on how you could start advancing the respect for human rights uh, within within the organization. Yeah, so kind of like much in, in the CSR discourse that a kind of guidelines that in a sense sometimes becomes a, an almost de facto standard. Jana, you yourself use that, that, that word in a sense that important to remember that this is not something new in itself, but more codified perhaps some something and, and really instilled in, in, in a very particular form that is somehow easy to to diffuse or at least easier to diffuse than, than some some other other documents prior prior to it. Now 
going back now or going forward a little bit now to to today in in a sense that I, I said in the beginning that CITI is a sort of research project under the government of Finland's research analysis and, and assessment activities VNTAS. Uh, which, in in a sense, I think is certain indication of how these issues are now sort of part of, of a par particular political uh, agenda here in in, in Finland. So we we also, for those who are non-Finnish listeners around Europe, especially, we see various law initiatives that certainly replicate a lot of this vocabulary that, that Jana, you were uh, addressing uh, previously, due diligence and, and these kinds of, of, of issues. Uh, how how can you can you explain a little bit more how, how you see it from your perspective that what is it, why is it that we today in Finland see a, a sort of a, an, a rising interest uh, in, in perhaps in the political sphere about uh, business and, and, and human rights? Uh, well, I think it's, first of all, I think it's uh, important to, to notice that I believe that it's not just in Finland. Somehow I see that it is uh, more, uh, if not global, at least European level phenomenon which is which is now going on uh, and it's clearly gaining uh, kind of momentum from from several different sectors where where maybe the political side is just just one of them but of course I think that uh, one of the reasons is of course the uh, several different uh, national legislation processes which have been ongoing already for several years uh, starting maybe from the modern slavery act in the UK and then after that we have the uh, due diligence law in France and the child labor law in 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 in, in the Netherlands and and so on and and several several other processes ongoing and then not to forget of course the EU level uh, processes which are which are also ongoing. I just just yesterday it caught my eye that earlier this week I think it was um, was it on Tuesday uh, there has been this uh, council conclusions on human rights and decent work in the global supply chains which has been um, uh, given given out. So so clearly there is a lot of lot, lot of uh, kind of um, I don't know could we say that there is a need to to increase regulation. Uh, and and somehow it that that's how it's then of course then can be seen also in the in the political political side. Um, but then I think that uh, besides this political sphere, I think it's very important to also take into account the very much rising uh, awareness from the corporate side, and and how the S in ESG is gaining more and more attention. Uh, within the corporates and then also from the investor side. And then, of course, we know that, uh, for example, in Finland, we have several uh, state-owned companies, uh, which then, if we want to make the political link, it's, it's possible from, from that angle um, as, as, as well, of course. But, but clearly, there, there is a lot of discussion going on that there is a need to con concretize and, and to really measure that what is, what is the S, what does the S stand for uh, in this uh, ESG uh, acronym. 
and and I think that's also one one of the reasons why overall this has gained so much more momentum in the in the in the current discourse. Um, of course, then not to also we can't forget the public awareness and especially con those consumers or well maybe maybe not the consumers but those companies who are in the uh, consumer product or consumer service industry they are faced with um, pressure coming from their external stakeholders the consumers their customers and and that's also of course then uh, adding the pressure to to uh, have these issues more more in the in the in the central, but Jana, please continue. I think you you already uh, uh, paint the the scheme here. Um, I don't know. Maybe say saying that that um, even though we Finnish people are um, brave and in many many ways and and doing doing say thing things but i don't know if we are always in the in the front line in in these type of <laughs> issues if if i may say so and i i think maybe as as Suvi described that that the 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 attention what what these uh, business and human rights has 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 uh, got in 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 Europe and in, in certain countries. We are here in Finland a little bit looking at the, okay what is what is happening there and and okay maybe this is something what we also have to have to th th think about and and, and as as, as we mentioned that, that the companies especially I think those ones who have the global um, uh, supply chains and, and 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 so on they have already faced. The uh, the pressure pressure and and because of all of that also here in Finland we have started to to think a little bit more more of these 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 issues. Yeah, going back to what I previously said about my own anecdotal experience of going to various events and and workshops and and so forth over over a decade or, or so now that certainly five years ago or so you started to notice some some new people there who uh, presented themselves to be representing investors and pension funds and stuff like that which i certainly had never seen in those kinds of uh, events previously and now today they are kind of mainstay uh, in in those kinds of environments so that's very uh, interesting also to notice just uh, this sort of changing nature of, of these questions and, and certainly testimony exactly what you were talking about that it has become part of, of the S in, in ESG risk assessment as, as well here in Finland and, and globally of course as well. So I think that's a good bridge with ESG uh, environmental social and governance risk to talk a little bit about measurement which is kind of also what we're trying to look at in the city uh, project. Evidently, I don't think it's an understatement to say that, that measurement is a great challenge when it comes to, to human rights, especially if we're talking to converting human rights and human rights impact into the kind of metrics that seems to make sense for corporations and then business at large. So if we compare, for example, to environmental impact, um, questions about uh, impact and perhaps more so measurement and met metrics is, uh, is, is rather challenging. 
I think for for corporations, but also for research, it, it has to be said. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this um, methodology that uh, you or we are using in in the city project, the CHRB, the Corporate Human Rights Benchmark. What is it and why is there kind of political and business around this particular measurement and, and methodology? Yes, as you said, this measurement business is not very, very e- e- easy. And I think the, the, the corporate um, uh, uh, you know, benchmark has taken a, a, a great move when when they established their organization. I think that was 2013, and 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 decided that that they they will try to to develop and create uh, some kind of benchmark uh, that uh, that would would measure the the uh, corporate um, uh, human rights performance and. And I think, uh, well, based on what 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 they have been saying in uh, on their website, and 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 we have also heard some of their presentations, they have had uh, the starting point has been, of course, the the UN guiding principles, but but also that we clearly have um, some sectors which have uh, high risks for 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 human rights. Uh, Adverse uh, impacts and 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 that's that um, there is a need for for providing uh, the informants on the corporate's uh, performance for for different uh, stakeholders the, the 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 investors they they would need this type of uh, in information uh, to to if if they really want as as Suvi earlier explained to look at the the, the social side GCs uh, and and then um, also uh, corporate human rights benchmark they they have been thinking that the that the benchmark should be su- such kind of uh, system that uh, everybody could see the results so so that it would be publicly aware, available that also the um, civil society uh, actors and, and and the public would 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 know, but also for the for the companies that that uh, somehow they also would be able to see that okay where we are standing and how we are developing, and I I I would say that okay the the <clears throat> methodology what uh, CHRB has has developed. They they are measuring the, the companies um, yearly, um, but and of course you get the snapshot of of the results. Okay, there are scoring system there and and and, and so on. But what they are themselves emphasizing is that they, they rather would look the results in the in the little bit longer term. That okay, the 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 company has has uh, been in 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 this status in in this year. But how it has has developed uh, its processes and practices and 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 so on related to the human 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 rights during during the year year. So I think that has been very much the the, the focus of the CHRB there also. So so what they have created they have created the the methodology for certain high risk 
sectors such as as apparel or agricultural products or or extractives ICT and and they have created their um, a consultative and, and quite transparent pro, pro, process and and the, the the measurements the indicators what they have have created there they they are grounded besides the the, the guiding principles they are also also in other global norms related to these different sectors and and the best practices and 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 so on and they have they have tried to be i, I think quite practical uh, Reflecting there in in their uh, methodology, those those key issues, key risks, and 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 the me- measuring that what kind of steps the companies have taken, what is the pro- process? Do they have their systems in in, in place? Do they do, have they started the uh, human rights due diligence? Have they started to identify their their uh, human rights risks? Have they done? Uh, human rights uh, risks and impact uh, impact assessments and 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 so on. So being quite quite pragmatic in in their the the measure, measurement, and and this way also uh, encouraging uh, companies to 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 use these results uh, as a as their own own guidance to to improve their their performance and at the same time providing this this information for for the for the larger or, or audience they themselves um, emphasize that that they are focusing on the on the on the processes and and practices and and that they don't try to measure every everything and that that, that they don't 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 me- measure, for example, the quality of the of the of the different steps, but but as as, as I said, rather the the, the process. So uh, the sy- system what they have created, they 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 have uh, developed it uh, several years. They are continuously taking the feedback. So it's still not maybe the ready tool, but it's um, it has has gone through several rounds now and um, actually uh, there aren't so many many tools available uh, which would provide the the similar type of of of, of set so so that's that was one <laughs> one reason why why we also ended up to 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 use the chrb methodology plus that since they have um, published the the results uh, uh, even though there are methodological differences between the the countries, but but still still you could get some kind of comparison where where you can see that, for example, that what is happening in 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 some other places compared to to, to Finland. Okay, so I also started the podcast by saying that you know to a certain extent business has has. Uh, or you yourself actually said that perhaps uh, in Finland also there hasn't been this kind of lead that Finland being a kind of lead country when it comes to to making sense of of business and and human rights and certainly business at large. I mean, here I'm not talking about Finland solely, but business have not been hugely proactive when it comes to uh, mainstreaming human rights explicitly in in the CSR agenda until now. 
as, as we exactly as we dis discussed and at least not in Finland on a historical basis and there are all kinds of, of uh, very good explanations for for that uh, but how do you see it so from the perspective of, of business if we're talking Finnish business or European business so what are the perceived challenges for for business to re report on 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 human rights issues because certainly within safety without talking about the results it replicates kind of what we see elsewhere as well that that there is a, a challenge and there is quite a lot of information that is missing in CSR reports at large when it comes to to human rights issues so what what are the biggest challenges here well, this is, of course, something that we should address <laughs> and ask, ask the companies themselves. And this is this was actually one of the research questions in the in the safety project. But of course, now as the uh, project is still ongoing, um, I, I will not go into those results yet at this point. Um, but I think that um, on a general level, <sighs> I have this feeling that there might still be some doubts um, in the company side that uh, are human rights disclosures relevant uh, in, to start with. Is it is it something that companies are expected to do uh, or are any of their external stakeholders actually interested to, to know, about th know about it? And this is quite contradictory to what I just said a few, few minutes ago uh, concerning the kind of the the increased momentum around these issues and how also the investors are interested. But this is somehow maybe the feeling that you you might still get from the company side that they the last step kind of uh, maybe is not yet uh, realized that uh, this uh, this is actually very essential uh, information to disclose when we talk about uh, reporting. Um, but then at the same time, um it's it's really important to to also uh take into consideration that it's of course about prioritizing also and and it seems also that companies are under quite a lot of pressure to focus their reporting their sustainability reporting uh on issues regarding climate change and and this is something uh, where their uh, internal resources are very much focused at at the moment and also a lot of external pressure like uh, concretely felt external pressure is coming uh, on on those issues as well so so um, I think it's only fair to also acknowledge that this is something also that the companies they do need to um, prioritize but then uh, at the same time it is of course important also to consider the uh, internal resources and the internal capacity um, that the companies might have uh, regarding human rights issues because that's also then naturally very very closely linked to on how the information is is disclosed or what kind of things are re reported um, i think it's um, fair to say that there are still quite a limited amount of companies uh, who have taken the implementation of the UN guiding principles kind of seriously. Um, and, and they might be very advanced in their human rights uh, due diligence. And this, of course, uh, automatically shows in their reporting and how they disclose, disclose the information. But uh, however, most of the companies, um, I feel that they are still uh, 
in quite early stages. And then if you take that into consideration, then again, it's quite natural that the reporting is still also uh, or might be quite narrow. From your perspective, I'm not here just talking about safety, but do you think that there in general is, is clarity in Finland among business and, and perhaps also among politicians? You know, what are included in, in human rights? What, what are the human rights and what are non-human rights I- issues? Do, do you think that we are talking about the same thing uh, here in Finland when different actors are, are speaking on, on human rights? I think that's also a very good point and, and, and question. Of course, for sure there are uh, uh, people who who know very well that that what we are talking about when we are talking about the human human rights and and and, and so. But um, I think during these years, what we have uh, no, noted is that there is this tendency that. That um, the human human rights, of course, there are. If if you look closer, there are quite a list of of, of different rights. And and when we talk with the with the people, um, somehow you get the impression that people often, uh, when they think about human rights, they they think about the the freedom of opinion and. And, and uh, freedom of expression, and 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 or then if if we are talking about more, um, well, uh, serious preaches is is something like that that the, the human rights prevent the torture or, or 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 genocide type of issues or this this really really this type of um, civil and political rights in 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 human rights language, but then maybe. Maybe less understood is that there are many of those economic and, and political and cultural rights um, things. I, I think I already mentioned, for example, that the right to to education or or, or that that there is this uh, of living that, that are uh, presenting us a minimum standards of, of of dignified human life. And I, I, I think that type of maybe understanding is is not necessary there when we when we talk about the, the human human rights. And and also interesting is that that of course when we are talking about the business and human rights um, and thinking thinking uh, for example the work conditions and and the the, the human rights of workers. Um, Sometimes also like the the freedom of association or or right to collective bargaining or or child labor and and forced labor issues. I mean they are there in the ILO conventions and 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 well some people know know, know some some people don't but but in general somehow these type of uh, human rights of workers they are not necessarily seen as a human rights either for, for for some 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 reason so I uh, to, to summarize I, I think there is still still work to be done in that sense that that we have found this common ground that what we are talking about when we are talking about the human rights and and of course thinking now again the companies there are certain rights um, 
although the, all the rights are equally important, but for, for sure when you have your business and you're doing certain things, you, you're, you're, um, the risks are, are maybe focusing on, on more uh, certain type of rights. So it's very um, important also to look at the context where the, where the company is, is, is working and, and what is it doing and understanding that what are uh, the, in that sense, those those uh, central human rights risks and, and and impacts, and and that that type of thinking is also maybe still there under development. Right. So, I think one thing when when we were talking about these kinds of challenges and we think about how how corporations in in general how how they try to solve these kind of complex uh, problems that one thing that has emerged again during the last decades is the prevalence of, of various various standards but also this kind of external multi-stakeholder initiatives where you know even competitors can can come together and and create dif different kinds of, of, of standards for dealing with human rights or, or other uh, sort of CSR issues. And, and certainly it's not an understatement to say that when it comes to, to human rights and these kinds of issues, there is also the role of these uh, standards and multi-stakeholder initiatives to which to a certain extent, and I can say this as a critical CSR researcher, that, that to a certain extent, what happens is a kind of an outsourcing of certain kind of responsibility to these kinds of, 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 of actors. But from, from your perspective, when we're talking about standards and, and MSIs and, and relying on that kind of external sense-making of, of uh, business and, and human rights, what, what kind of challenges do you, from your perspective, see in, in that? Uh, yes, this is, as you said, uh, quite a common and uh, I would also say quite a natural uh, phenomenon um, and natural in, in, in a way that there are so many um, multi-stakeholder initiatives or even industry standard, standards or, or best practices or whatever they can be called. Uh, for example, concern how uh, supplier guidelines or supplier code of conducts should be um, or, or what the content should be. And, and adopting those uh, as such is, is, of course, a relatively easy way to get started. If you, if you look at the, uh, the way uh, the guiding principles um, or, or, or how they talk about having the, the respect for human rights embedded in all the policies. So it's quite easy to adopt the ready-made uh, standards. But there are, um, I think, a few, at least a few aspects which, which came to my mind that need to, need to be considered. Um, uh, one is that um, uh, what we've noticed, uh, for example, during the CITI project, is that um, some of these external standards, uh, they might not be completely in line uh, with uh, what has been the original intention, for example, behind a certain um, uh, for example, workers' rights. Uh, this became uh, quite clear, for example, uh, looking at uh, freedom of association and collective bargaining. The, these external 
um, standards, they might have uh, worded the respect for this right in a way that it is not actually in line with what has been originally meant uh, with the uh, in in the ILO convention. So, uh, and the companies they might not be even be aware that the wording is not so to say correct, uh, and it might be as a surprise for them that okay, there so so there's a between these two. So that's of course one thing. Uh, but then another thing, uh, which I think is equally important, uh, or even more important, uh, is that uh, if these external standards are adopted as such, uh, there is a risk that a certain very important kind of um, thought process uh, inside the organi organization uh, is not done. And, and that's, for example, uh, could be concerning like uh, for identifying what the salient risks for, for that company actually are. If they take a, take a ready-made standard and start using that, some of their most uh, salient risks might be outside of that ready-made standard. So um, I think it's it would be very important that, yes, uh, they are, I think it would be, or they are good to use uh, as a starting point. And of course, they can be modified. And, and that's something maybe that I, I would encourage uh, companies to do, that always take time and see that are we really, is this, is this relevant for us? And then also, is there something relevant missing from the, from the ready-made standard? So I think with those words, I just want to thank Jan and, and Sovi immensely for taking time to come here and, and, and speak to us. And I hope for all our listeners that you have enjoyed the, the, the podcast and that you will be tuning in also to future episodes of Sustainability Unwrapped. So my name is Nicodemus Solitander and I wish you all uh, the best. <laughs>